taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. It's great to be with you today. If it's your very first or second time here, uh, we're thrilled that you're with us. Uh, Montgomeryville, let's give it up for Montgomeryville, those who are watching in Montgomeryville at all of our campuses. We are one week away uh, from opening officially our Montgomeryville campus, and so they have been ramping up, and all the volunteers and teammates are up there today, and we are thrilled that you're with us, and even if you're there, maybe as a guest, you've never been to Journey before, and you came a week early, we're excited about that. We're excited for people at Plymouth Meeting in Limerick and Royersford and right here in Phoenixville. Uh, if you are in Phoenixville physically, how many of y'all like change? I mean, I hate change. You like change? Hate change. Hate change. You're like, I hate change. Obviously, we changed some stuff up. Some of you are like, it doesn't make sense. Why are you down here with us? Let me give you a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, we did this because we are a video campus, and so it, it gives our video a better image to other campuses, and so we moved it down. The second reason is, is the sermon is not supposed to be a speech to the people. I'm not a priest. Everybody say, thank God. I like my wife, right? And so you can take that wherever you want to take that. And so... Uh, I have three kids, and I believe in, in that God created sex for a man and a, a woman, a husband and wife, and, and you're supposed to do it. And so, uh, but here's the thing about it. I want this, the sermons, the messages at all of our campuses, I want them to be interactive. I want it to feel like we're together. I'm not better than you. Uh, when we're up on a stage like that, for, for years, this is how it was. At Limerick, if you're in Limerick, you know the stage is kind of right in front of you, and so everything's kind of low, and we're all kind of together, and then we came here because of camera, things like that. We raised it up, but uh, this was kind of a happy accident. You know what a happy accident is? It's when you do something, but you don't really know why you're doing it, and it works out, and so we set this up. We did fight night on Wednesday. I said, I like this better than being away from everybody, and so we're going to try this out for the next few weeks, and so if you are right here in the middle, uh, in the first couple sections, this is what we call the spit pit, and so uh, it's you're going to get spit on at some point, I guarantee, over the next 30 minutes. And so we'll give you ponchos, and they will be useful for both now and when you get outside. Uh, but we are excited that you're with us. We're starting a brand new sermon series called Full of It. And uh, I just want to kind of give you a little background of how we got to that, that, that series, what happened. And so uh, I'm going to take you through a, a chapter in the book of Proverbs. So some of you, that means absolutely nothing because uh, you're not a Bible person. And so here's how I would explain it. Uh, the people of old, the, the Jewish people of many years ago, they believed that, that you could understand and gain wisdom from God. That, that he, essentially, this is how I would explain it. Essentially, it's like when you take a test uh, and the teacher gives you the answers to the test. And so if you take the test after they give you the answers to the test uh, and you, you pass it, you'll be excited. But the truth is the teacher gave you the answers. If you fail it, you're an idiot, right? And so like basically what, they, what they're saying is, God is, is, a, is the supreme being. He's the creator. He's the alpha and the, and the omega. And he, he humbled himself to the point where he was willing to instill in us wisdom to help us pass this thing called life. And so the book of Proverbs would be referred to as a book of, of wisdom. And so what happened is, is about two months ago, I bought my kids the, the real first like paperback, like real Bibles. Like we had the action Bible, we had the Jesus storybook Bible, but I was like, it's probably time to buy them some real Bibles. So for Christmas, we ordered a couple Bibles. And the reason we did it is because they need Jesus. And I was like, they need, we need a Bible, stuff's messing my house, they're crazy, and you learn self-respect and not talking back, I'm gonna get them a Bible. Uh, and so we got Bibles, 
And we were going through a little bit of a hectic season with them. And I thought, you know what we should start doing? We should start having uh, family, like real family devotions. And we, 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 we started really low. We're going to do it once a week, right? We're going to start once a week. We're going to sit down. We're going to get in front of our fireplace. I'm going to open it up. We're all going to read together, sing kumbaya, you know, take prayer requests, take communion together, take up an offering, stuff like that. And so we did that. And, and I, I don't want to sound like it was like this amazing moment. Like it, it involved, uh, we read about 12 chapters in the book of Proverbs, starting chapter one. It took us about 45 minutes. Uh, my five-year-old rolled around the floor like a dog. My 11 and nine-year-old fought over who read faster. And so they were fighting over that. They weren't explaining stuff. And so we would stop in the middle of it. I would try to explain a verse. They would ask questions. And as I was reading through the book of Proverbs, I began to realize how much wealth was in there. Like, if you're not a Bible person, like, let me just read you a couple. They're not going to be on the screens. These are just some of the more famous ones. Like Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own. You guys know this one? What are you not supposed to lean on? Your own understanding. Trust not in, your, in, your, in yourself, lean not on your own understanding, right? Like trust in the, in the Lord. Like I, I love this one. Proverbs 22 says, start children off on the way they should go, and when they grow old, they will not turn from it. That's a promise in scripture. Start children off when they're young. Some of you have a 25-year-old, you're like, yeah, but they are far from God. The Bible doesn't say when they're, when they're uh, young or when they're a young person or a, a young adult that they'll never depart. It says when they grow old, eventually that seed that was planted inside them will come to fruition. I, I love that verse. Proverbs 31, I like this one. A, a wife of noble character, who can find? With, with the question mark, right? Watch what it says. It says she is worth far more than rubies. How many get an amen with that one? Some of you are sitting by your wife, you're like, no, she's like uh, cubic zirconiums. She's not, she's not that good. I'm not going to say nothing. I'm going to amen you, but that's not. Like the Bible says, I'm just playing, by the way. The Bible says, like if you find a good wife, it's like finding a ruby. Like the most pri- the precious, priceless di- uh, jewel in the world. Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Don't, we often worry about the outside, but the book of Proverbs says it's really what's, in, what's on the inside that's messing you up. It's really what's on the inside that's affecting you. So, so guard your heart. Proverbs 30. Every word of God is flawless. Some of us should listen to this. He, he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So I wanted them to begin to embrace and understand these Proverbs. And so what happened is we got to the book of Proverbs chapter 12 after a few weeks of reading, fights, rolling around like dogs. And when they were reading through it, the Lord began to speak to me uh, because the book of Proverbs specifically three times talks about the difference between a fool and a, and a wise person. And what I want to do is I want to spend the next month talking about the differences because there's a very distinct difference. And here's the problem with being a fool is oftentimes you don't know you're, you're a fool. Like you, you just don't. Like we, it, it's like when, when you're walking around and you have spinach in your teeth. And nobody tells you. It's like last service, I decided to wear this shirt that was fraying, and, and my, the whole time I had a massive string sticking on the back of my shirt. They were sending me messages on the screen. I didn't know what was going on. I thought something was breaking. And then at the end of the service, somebody said, you have a string sticking in your butt. It looks like your butt floss, right? Like, you need to do something about that. I'm like, why didn't you, why didn't you just come rip it off? Like, there's two things you do at all this church. You, if my fly's down, you tell me. And if I got a string sticking out of my butt crack, you tell me. That's, that's happening. Like, that's, that's just the way that I want to land. The problem with being a fool is you don't often know you're a fool. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Remember in the 80s when, when the, the hair came? It, some of you lived during the 80s when, when maybe you had a mom. I was born in 1980, so my mom. Remember the, fame, the, the popular haircuts in the 80s? It was like straight up, and then it was a perm, like a ball. It looked like broccoli, right? It looked like broccoli. And you look back on that, you go, I, I don't know that. Some of you are like, I'm offended now. Listen, you look like a fool, right? mullets, like I was watching the Major League Baseball yesterday, mullets are coming back in style, y'all, and I think to myself, please, please, Bryce Harper, do not, like, let's not, let's not go there. In the 90s, remember parachute pants? 
Like nobody, nobody was, like those pants look foolish. A few years ago, uh, late two, the 2010, 13, 14, 15, something like that, really long shirts came in style for guys. You guys remember this if you're in style? And there's pictures of me looking back thinking, why didn't anybody tell me I was wearing a dress? Like why didn't somebody, it looked like I had dress and leggings on at some points in my things. Like look like me and my wife had the exact same outfit on. And so like the problem with being a fool is you don't often know. So the book of Proverbs, this is a continual theme. They're going to tell you, here's what it looks like to be a wise person. Here's what it looks like to be a foolish person. And so just to kind of give you an understanding, three times in, in Proverbs chapter 12, uh, next week we'll talk about how a fool uh, is, is shows their full annoyance. The, the, a fool is always annoyed uh, about everything. The week after that, we'll take a look at how a fool likes to hear themselves talk. A fool likes to blurt out all of their knowledge. Like we we, 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 we listen, we like to tell everybody all the time what we know, share our, our opinion. We're going to talk about that. But today, we're going to talk about how fools don't listen to advice. Fools don't listen to advice. Well, watch what it says in Proverbs 12, verse number 15 at all of our campuses. It says, the way of the fools seems right to them. There's, there's a way when you're a fool that makes sense to you, but the wise listen to advice. Fools don't listen to advice. You have little kids, you know this is true. Like eventually you want your kids to go from foolishness to, to, to listening. But, but because they're young and because they're, they're silly, how many times do they say stuff like, you don't know what you're talking about? You ever have a moment in your kids' lives where you have told them something is going to happen to them and then it happens and you want to tell them, I told you so? I'll give you an example. When my son was four, uh, my kids have a habit of putting their hands on things and rubbing on the glass and putting their hands. Well, my, my, my youngest, my, my oldest son had a habit of putting his hands kind of near the sliding, like the automatic sliding doors at places like, like, like restaurants and malls and things like that. And I used to tell him when he was three or four years old, you're going to get your arm stuck in there. You're going to get chopped off, right? They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna have one arm. Like, and I would tell him, do not put your arm near there. Just walk through. You don't have to touch it. It's automatic. And I remember one day we were in the Limerick Outlets and we were walking out of the, of the food court. We're going to get a stroller. If you're, if you're a parent with 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old kids, you remember stroller days? Weren't they glorious? You just locked them in there and went, right? Like we're out complete. Yesterday we went to the Valley Forge Park. We are completely out of stroller days with, with, stroller days with, a, with now almost six-year-old. Isn't it torture? You need like a leash to lock him in. He's whining. We've walked 13 steps. You're whining. Like, what? Like you, you can run all day long, but you're whining about walking up. You know, your legs hurt all of a sudden. You're sick. And so I miss the stroller days. And this was when we were kind of moving Carter out of the stroller day. And I remember he was walking out. The door was going to open up. We were going to get one of those strollers from the place that cost $16.99 to rent it. You know what I'm talking about? Because we were going to put Lincoln in there. And eventually we were going to put him in there. And as we're getting ready to walk out, all of a sudden I'm walking and I, I hear blood-curdling screams behind me. I turn around and Carter has lodged his arm behind the sliding door, and he is stuck, and he is screaming. And my first reaction is, that's what you get. <laughs> like, there's a way that seems right to a fool. That's you right now. Like, I just walk through the door. You don't need to put your hand behind it and see what will happen. And so we had to call the security guard. They had to loosen the door. We had to pull it off the hinge. It was a big to-do. Everybody was looking at us. I was embarrassed. looked like an awful dad. Even though I had told him probably a hundred times, don't touch, put your arms behind the door. Just walk through it. It's natural. It happens. It's automatic, right? 
And I think, I think for us that we all kind of deal with this. Like, what does it look like to be, to be a fool? There's a way that seems right to people, but wisdom listens to advice. So let me just explain to you the things that I would say. Here's how you know you're struggling with being a fool in this life. No, number one is this, is when I think about my own life, when I'm dealing with being a fool, I think that fools think they know it all. Fools at all of our campuses think they know it. Anybody struggle with this spiritual disease? I call it a gift. Like, I have a problem. When I'm in a room, I always think I'm the smartest person. Anybody else? You're not going to admit that right now? Like, if I'm in a room with people, like, it doesn't matter what they're talking about. I'm like, I could do that better. It's like in my DNA. Like, I know everything. I can do everything. I'm a critic of everyone. I, I remember as a young pastor, like, I just felt like from the moment that I started a church as a 25-year-old, like I, I had never done it before. I had only been on staff. I had only been a children's pastor. But I had all these ideas, all these understandings, and I knew it all. Like I knew it all about being a husband. I know it all about being a dad. I know it all about sports. Like if you want to argue about sports, I'll argue with you about sports. I know it all. I know it all about fashion. I know it all about decorations. I'm an expert in everything. I know it all. The only thing I'm not an expert in is school, right? Like I'm not, you can have school, but everything else, I feel like I know it all. Benjamin Franklin, he said, any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, and most fools do. Everywhere you go, you, you share your opinion, you, you, you know it, you know it all, even in church. Even in church, you come here, you're like, what is he going to teach me? I know it. I know it all. I've been in church my whole life. I know everything there is to know about God, which probably means you, probably, probably means you know nothing. Like, I know it all about being a, a husband. I know it all about being a wife. I know it all about dealing with life issues. I know it all. I would say that's the number one sign that you are dealing with a foolish spirit when you know it all. But I think it gets even worse. I think we oftentimes fools think they can do it all. Not only do they, they know it all, but I think they think that they can, they can do I can handle everything. I can handle my marriage. I can handle my wife. Good luck with that. I can handle it at my job. I can handle my questions. I can handle it all myself. Why can I handle it all myself? Because I know it all. I, I don't need to be taught. I don't need your opinion. I don't need your feedback. I know it all. And then when somebody comes into your life and tries to share wisdom with you, you're like, you don't know. I know it all. I can do it all. My life is different than everybody else. Sometimes I get like that as a pastor. I'm like, nobody knows how hard it is for me to be a pastor. And I got other people that have been doing it for years that I, think, I feel like they think, you're an idiot. Maybe if you wouldn't assume that you knew it all or you could do it all, that we could actually offer some insight and some input. Instead, you carry around the weight of the world thinking your life is different than everybody else's life. And just so you're aware that it's not, I want to take you into, into another book of Proverbs called Ecclesiastes 1. And I want you to remember th this thought. The Bible says, what has been will, will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. You know what that means? Somebody's been where you're at right now. Somebody knows more than you know. Somebody's experienced the same questions that you've experienced, and it is pride to stand in the way and say, I'm not going to ask anybody because not only do I know it all, but I can do it all. But you want to know, know what else fools do that I think they struggle with? I think fools ultimately, because they think they know it all and they can do it all, they often think they're the exception to the rule. I think this happens often in church. I think when somebody tells you, like, hey, this is going to go bad, this is going to happen, you know, sin's going to find you out. The Bible says sin grows and brings death. Like, it's not going to work out the way you want it to work out. What do we do? No, I'm the exception to the rule. Why am I the exception to the rule? Because I can do it all, 
and I know it all. I, I know it all. I, I can do it all. And I'm the exception. I'm not going to ask anybody. I'm not going to listen to your advice. I'm not going to listen to the word of God. I'm not going to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. Why? Because I'm the exception to the rule. I can date who I want. I can spend my money how I want. I can use my talent and my time however I want. And it's going to turn out fine because I am the exception to the rule. That's what foolish people say. That's what foolish people say. And can I, can I tell you why we struggle with being a fool? Underneath it all, if I'm real, why, why do I struggle with thinking I know it all, thinking I can do it all, thinking I'm the exception to the rule? That I think fools at the end of the line, if you look deep inside of them, they're really just afraid to be honest. Foolish people are really just afraid to let you see what's really underneath them. Like if I, I was to be honest with you, at all of our campuses, uh, I like to look like I know what I'm doing. I like to act like I have all the answers. I like to even act sometimes like I'll be the exception to the rule. But if you were to open up my, my chest cavity and get to look inside of who I really was and see my thoughts and things like that, you would often see a person who, who, who's deeply fearful. A person who doesn't have it all figured out. A, a person who feels in over their heads often. A person who struggles to come up with all the answers for their kids and come up with all the answers for their wife and come up with all the answers for their, for their church. And you see somebody who hides under foolishness, which is, I'm going to let everybody know that I can do it all and I can figure it out all and I got all the answers. But the truth is, the reason that I'm really struggling is because I just don't want to be honest. I don't want people to know that I don't have it all figured. I don't want people to know that sometimes I feel like a failure. Sometimes I feel insecure. Sometimes I feel inadequate. Sometimes I feel like I can't do it on my own. I would compare life on this earth to putting something from Ikea together. I spent 13 years putting Ikea furniture together. And I think oftentimes when you put Ikea furniture together, you, you go into battle with, a battle mindset with it. And so when you see it in the story, you're like, I can put that together. And then you get it home and you unbox it and you, you just begin to put it together. And how many of you in this place have put something from Ikea together and it's not together right and then you end up getting mad at Ikea? You're like, I got, I got three pieces left over. It's Ikea's fault. Or you'll say something like, they didn't give me enough, which does happen from time to time. But most of the time it's because you didn't do it right. Most of the time it's because you thought you could do it all, you thought you knew it all, and you thought you would be the exception to the rule. And you are not honest enough with yourself to know and embrace the fact that the person at Ikea is much smarter than you. So let me explain the process to you of, of, of not being a fool with Ikea. When you unbox an Ikea thing, what are you supposed to do? Unbox every piece that there is, everything. Lay it all out in a nice particular line. Get the instructions. Lay every other piece that you're going to put together. Take the instructions. Make sure every piece is there before you start putting it together. And then go to step where? Everybody tell me. Not two, not six. Not I don't need these because here's what happens. You become a fool. Somebody from Ikea somewhere is watching you through your Alexa Going, and what do you do? Help, Alexa. Alexa, you're an idiot. How many times have you gotten something from Ikea together, you get the whole thing together, and you have one piece left, and you've tightened everything with those stupid little Allen wrenches that's taking 13 hours to put it together, a shelf, and you have one piece left, and you go back to the instructions because you can't figure it out, and you weren't supposed to tighten every screw before you got to the end, and you've got to loosen everything back up just so you can get that one piece, and then that one piece confirms and completes it? 
And the problem is you look like a fool because you think you can do it all, you think you know it all, and you think you're the exception to, to the rule. But the truth is you should just admit before you're putting this together, I'm terrified of this. I'm terrified. I'm terrified of this. See, I want to show you how to work into, into wisdom in your life. And the, the, the beginning is to admit you're not that good. You don't have it all figured out. Listen, you can't fix your marriage that's falling apart on your own. You can't figure out that addiction. You can't get past that bitterness and that resentment and that unforgiveness. You, you, you just won't on, on your own. You can hide it all you want. You can cover it up. You cannot be honest with, with yourself. But I'm going to encourage you that if you begin to embrace this fact, I'm going to go from being a foolish person to be a wise person. I'm going to show you the clear, the clear steps. And what's so cool is, is the guy who wrote this, this chapter, his name is Solomon. You can track his story in the book of Chronicles. And I believe it's First Chronicles or Second Chronicles. I'm not sure. There's two, chapter one. So you can look. I don't know it all. So I'm just telling you it's either in First Chronicles or Second Chronicles. I'm not quite sure. But there's a story in chapter one of one of those two books. I don't know it all. I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm a C student, right? But it's somewhere in there. I know because I learned it on the felt board years ago. And in that story, God lets Solomon be king. He anoints him to be king. And before he becomes king, he looks at Solomon and he meets with him and he says, I'll give you anything. And I think if you were a king, like, like I would say, I want money. I want a big old palace, you know, pretty wife, whatever. I want all this. And Solomon... The Bible documents him saying, I want wisdom. If I can get wisdom, everything else will fall into, into place for me. God, I want, your, I want your wisdom. So I want to show you how to become a wise person today. And I, I'm going to give it to you in three easy steps. Number one is this, how to be wise. Number one, you got to fear God. you got to fear God. Here's the thing. God is not you know, your big homeboy in the sky. God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. God is the one who set the stars and the moon in place. He put the sun at the exact spot that it was supposed to be at, any closer, any farther away, any farther away from the earth, we would have either burnt up or frozen. God is the one who created the breath and the heart and everything you have inside of you. God is the one who has created all of it. And sometimes I think we have any, um, what I would call an unsincere uh, and low vision and, and understanding of who God is in our lives. We look at him, we go, it's not that big of a deal. Because if we did, if we're honest, we wouldn't be late to church. Like some of us are more afraid of our boss than we are of God. We're like, he's cool with it. I come in third song, it's fine. Walk in, got my coffee, God's fine as long as I'm here. My boss would fire me. My wife stopped talking to me for the week if I did this to her every time. But God is fine. And here's why. Because we don't really make a big deal about God, but I want to tell you that the beginning of wisdom in your life is to, is to fear God. Watch what it says in Scripture in Proverbs 1. The fear, this is where I got it from, from the Bible, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and, and instruction. My son, the other day, we were, we were doing something. I think we were at Dunkin' Donuts, and he was like, God, he was like, Dad, why are you supposed to fear God? You ever been with your kids? You're like, don't ask me those questions. I'm trying to eat a donut right now. I don't want to get deep and talk about why you're supposed to just fear him, right? <laughs> and so he asked me why, and so I thought about it. I'm like, why should you fear God? Because he's, he, we're telling him God loves him, and so he's trying to figure, comprehend that. And I said, it's not fear like you should be afraid of him getting you. It's fear like in, in reverence of understanding how big he is and how powerful he is and how lucky and privileged we are to be in a relationship with him. 
I, I would compare it like this. You ever have one of those moments where you step outside into creation, into, into, into nature, and you realize, holy crap, there's a God and I'm not him? Like I went to Colorado some years ago for Christmas to see my brother and sister-in-law, and I've told this story before we got off the plane, and we drove from the Denver airport to their house, and we're passing you know, things, and I look to my right, and I just see these massive mountains. You ever been to Colorado? And I just look and I realize, oh my gosh, there's a God and I am not him. Like there's a God that formed these mountains, that spoke these mountains into existence. I know you're going to get taught otherwise, kids. There's a God that spoke night and day. There's a God that spoke eternity. There's a God that created all this and I am not him. And so when I talk to my son about reverence and, and, and fear, it's this understanding that, hey, God doesn't need to be close to you and God doesn't need to communicate with you and God doesn't need to be your friend and God doesn't need you, but he wants you. He doesn't need, doesn't need, doesn't need you to get up and come in here and sing, right? Waymaker, he doesn't go in heaven. He's not going, oh yeah, I forgot that's who I was. You know, that slipped my mind. The Bible says that if you didn't do that, that the rocks would cry out the truth of, truth of God and praise him. At the beginning of, of wisdom is this understanding in your honesty that I should fear, that I should put myself in the right position, that I am not God, that there is a God. And what happens in those moments is your decisions, your days, your lives, your talents, everything carries more weight when you understand there's a God and you are not him. You begin to want to listen more than talk. I tried to think about this reverence and this fear and make it practical. And, and a few year, about a year and a half ago, somewhere right in there, I had an opportunity to just spend a, a few hours with, with a guy who passes the church much farther along than me. And I, I would compare it to you. If you're a computer person hanging out with you know, Bill Gates, somebody like that, or if you, if you sell insurance, whoever the, the, the baller insurance guy is, if you're a teacher, you know, whatever, whatever that is, if you're an athlete, you know, whoever that looks like, like, whoever is way out ahead of you that you would get to hang out with and ask questions, for some reason I had this opportunity. And, and, and I remember when he came, like, I, I, still, I kind of wanted to have that, like, I, I, like I, 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 I'm, I know it all. Like, I, I can do it all, like, I'm, like all that, like, you, because I want, because I don't want to be honest. I don't want him, him to know, like, I, I can't do it all, and I can't, and he was actually coming to tour our facilities. They were thinking about doing some, some stuff like us, and so it was just amazing. Like, if you would have told me years ago you would have this opportunity to talk to this guy, his executive pastor, I would have been like, this is, this is amazing, and so this, this opportunity presented itself. He came down. He walked through our buildings, and then when we, were, when we were leaving, he looked at me. He said, hey, you want to ride with me to, the next, to your next building? just me and you. And it was one of those moments where I was like, I got to play this cool. <laughs> but inside of me, if I was truthful, I'm like, oh my gosh, like a little, like, like, the Britney. like that's how I was. And I was like, I get, this is un like, I'm going to be able to sit down. And he started asking me, me like, some questions and like where I was from. And I started asking him some small talk. And then I was like, man, forget this crap. I just want to listen. I didn't say don't ask me any more questions, but I was like, you don't want it. You don't need to know about me. Let me just ask you as many questions as I could ask you. Then we went out to lunch and we got to ask him more questions. And it wasn't that I was afraid of this guy or intimidated. I just had this awareness that, man, he has so much wisdom that he can impart in me that I should just shut up and listen. And that's the beginning of wisdom with God. Some of you spend all your time trying to explain yourself and trying to be all macho and you drive a big spiritual Ford F-250 truck, right? It's diesel and you try to look all powerful when you come into church. You don't want anybody to know that you're falling apart. Your marriage is falling apart. Your, your insides are crumbling. You cry yourself to sleep and all these other things and you think I can't be honest. And can I tell you that's the beginning of, that's the beginning of wisdom. 
when you come to your senses. In fact, watch what Scripture says in Matthew 23. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But watch what it says. But those who humble themselves, that's where you'll be exalted. First step to get wisdom in your life is to fear God. Second step is this. Like, like Solomon, is to ask God. I think it's so interesting that we have an opportunity to push into a relationship with God and, and ask him for things like wisdom, yet we spend more time looking for advice from, from, from humans. We spend more time reading self-help books. We spend more time consulting Oprah. We call our friends when we're going through a problem. When we're going through a situation we don't know how to handle, we don't typically, as Christians, and, and we don't typically go to, to God first. It's typically our last resort. But the beginning of wisdom is not only to fear God, the beginning of wisdom is also just to, to begin to ask God. In fact, watch what it says in Proverbs 16. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. That's what fools do. I don't need God. I don't need his opinion. Watch what he says. Better to be lowly in spirit with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Whoever gives heed to, to instruction prospers, and blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. The Bible tells us that the more we seek God, the more we'll find him. That's a promise in Scripture. Now, not only should you fear God, but you should, you should ask God for wisdom. Watch what it says in James 1. If you lack wisdom, what should you do? Everybody say it. You should ask Alexa, Siri, Oprah, the guru, your best friend. If you lack wisdom, your first step should be to ask God. Watch what he does. He gives generously to all without finding fault. And you know what that means? He's the type of father that when you get your arms stuck behind a sliding door, he's not like, it's your fault, idiot. I told you. I think that's what we think about God. I think if we think if we humble ourselves before God and we admit that we can't do it on our own and if we're honest with ourselves, that God's going to go, you, you're, you're dumb. I think we receive that type of interaction with maybe earthly parents that say, hey, you just never listen, you're hard-headed, you don't figure it out, but that's not my God. When you humble yourself, the Bible says he, he's able to work in you, he's able to exalt you. So, for instance, when, when, you, when you need wisdom, what should you say? God, give me what? Wisdom. Simple as that. First, first step. When you don't know what to say to a person, you know what you can say? Holy Spirit, God, give me the right words to say to that person. When you need to make a decision, God, I need direction. I don't know if it's the chicken I ate last night or if it's you. God, would you clearly speak to me in this decision? In this God, would you, would you guide me? God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to reach out to this person? Am I supposed to send them a letter? Am I supposed to have a conversation? God, what do you want me to do? God, I feel like you want me to do this, but I'm not quite Sure. You ever been reading something in scripture like, I don't understand that? I don't get that. What should you do? Hey, God, would you, would you explain that to me? Would you confirm that with my spirit? God, would you, would you speak to me? N number one, you, you fear God. N number two, you ask God. Watch this promise in Jeremiah 29. And you will call on me and come to me and pray. And watch what he says. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And he says this, I'll be found by you. I'm going to fear God. I'm going to seek God. And, and my third thing, and this is just kind of an add-in, after you fear God and seek God, you go to this thirdly, you're going to do what I would call, call consult counsel. It's okay to speak to people. It's okay to confirm. There's been times where I've been like, hey, I need to, I need to ask you something because I'm feeling like this, but I'm not sure if it was that bad chicken I ate last night or God. 
And so can you, can you, can you, can you counsel me? Can you, can you explain to me what, what does this look like? There's decisions that I've made as, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father that I, that I need some counsel on. And here's what I found out about counsel. Uh, good counsel will never contradict God's word. So, so God's will for your life never goes against his word. That, that's how you do it. You line it up with, with God's word and you seek out godly counsel. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, walk with the wise, become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. What, what, what do you do? You find somebody that asks you really tough questions. Looks like you have a tough face on right there. But I bet you're really scared. Did you really want your life to end up like that? Like the, the tough questions. Not like the churchy ones. Can I pray for you, brother? That's what Christians say to get out of weird interactions, by the way. Sometimes you know you shouldn't pray for them. Sometimes you know you should yell at them. Hey, you're being a moron. Looks like you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, and I say that because I've been on Facebook and I've seen that you're doing what you're not supposed to be doing. And so can I ask you a few tough questions? Are you being faithful to your wife? Are you being a good father? Are you seeking first God's kingdom so that everything else can work out? Because if you're not, you know, we got, we got to kind of make some changes. Because it looks like you're being a fool. You're not listening to good advice. Here, here's what I look for in people. They have nothing to lose by telling me the truth. They're like, what? You don't like me anymore? Whatever. There, there's nothing to lose. And here's what I look for. I find people that are where I want to be. That's what I do. I go, you're where, like that pastor from that church that was much bigger than this church. Like, I'll listen to anything that he says. It's not that we're exactly the same or our churches are exactly the same or they're going to ever be exactly the same. But I, I know he's where that we want to be as a church, that, that, that size and reaching that many people. And so I'm going to listen to anything that he says because he's where I want to be. I'm consult counsel. It's going to start with fearing God. I'm not God. Seeking God. And then consulting counsel. And I was reading and studying this, this, this topic of being a fool. And as I was getting prepared to, 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 to preach it, I ended up in the book of Matthew chapter, chapter 5. And in that scripture, Jesus says, don't call anybody a fool. And I was like, I should probably re, re, rename the sermon. Because he says not to call anybody a fool. But then I studied it. And that word fool in, in the Greek is pronounced raka, R-A-C-A. Not rako, raka, right? And raka simply means a fool that cannot be forgiven. Don't look at somebody's life and go, they've made too many mistakes. Uh, they've lied too many times. They failed in marriage. They're too addicted. They are too foolish to find forgiveness because he would say nobody is outside the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no fool that cannot find forgiveness. So here's my question. Are you a fool today? Are you someone who, who likes to play like you got it all figured out? Are you someone who likes to act like you can do it all? Are you someone who consistently leaves church and says, I'm the exception to the rule? And in those things where you, you have hidden sin and hidden pain um, and anxiety and stuff is falling apart, are you to the place where you can be honest enough with yourself to admit that you don't got it all together? Here's the cool thing about, about that. You're in the right spot for that. At all of our campuses, I would tell you from the, from the bottom of my heart, I don't. I can't do what I do on my own. In fact, this week I was reading in the book of Zechariah where it says, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. 
And when I read it, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment and said, you spend way too much time trying to be a bull in a china cabinet in your own life and use your own power and your own might and your own grind and your own push and all those things. You need to rely on me. And I realized in that moment, man, I'm not as wise as I think I am. I'm not as equipped as I think I am. I'm not as talented as I think I am. I am just as desperate as many of you. And I had to be honest with myself. God, I don't have it all figured out. And the cool thing is when I called on the name of the Lord in that moment, I have the, the chance in the, in the moment to humble myself in his presence. The Bible says in that moment that he can exalt me, that he can take me to a different level. That he can begin to work in my life. And so my question is, are you a fool, but are you ready to be honest enough with yourself before God and say, you know what, I don't have it all figured out. I can't do this on my own anymore. And are you ready at all of our campuses to admit that to yourself and before God? And it's in that moment that God can have his way in your life. That he can move. If you're in trouble, the Bible says he can become an ever-present help in a time of need. If you're weary and burdened, the Bible says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Cast your cares on me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of forgiveness. Foolish people say, you know what? I can do it on my own. Honest people realize, no, I can't. You were created with the need for a savior. And you can try to fill it. You can try to find success. You can rise up the corporate ladder. You can get as many doctors in front of your name as you want. You can get the prettiest or the best looking husband and wife and have the most perfect kids. You can find all the success on this world. And at the end of it, you'll still be missing something. His name's Jesus. Are you honest enough right now with yourself? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes at all of our campuses just for a moment? In Montgomeryville, are you honest enough? Right here in Phoenixville, watching online in Royersford, Plymouth meeting in Limerick. As we close our eyes and we have a moment of reverence before the presence of God, I want you to know how much God loves you. He doesn't love you because you're impressive. He doesn't love you because you're good. He doesn't love you because you're accomplished. He loves you because you're His. He loves you more than you can imagine. And you are not equipped or supposed to carry the weight of the world. And it is foolish to think you can. Everything will fall apart around you. Because you were created with the need for a savior. And that's why Jesus came 2,000 years ago. See, God could have wiped his hands of us and said, you know what? I'm going to let them die in their sin and their shame and their anxiety and their filth. But instead, Jesus stepped out of eternity and stepped into this broken world. And when he did that, he was showing us how much God loves us. That's what it says in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus, just to make this whole story kind of to wrap it up or to, uh, to make it easy to understand is Jesus came for people like me and you. Came to save us. Bible says he came to seek and save the lost. So if you feel lost, if you're weighted down, if you feel full of anxiety and doubt and fear, you're at the right place. But I think the one thing that keeps people from God is honesty. Are you honest enough to admit you don't got it all figured out? 
Are you honest enough to, to admit that you can't handle it all on your own? Are you honest, honest enough to admit that you've tried it? You've tried to be the exception to the rule, yet it keeps failing. Are you honest enough with yourself to take a look in that spiritual mirror and say, I need a savior? And it's in that honesty and that humility that God is able to lift you up. And so what we do at all of our campuses, there's somebody standing in the front of you just like me right now. They're standing in the front of your room on that stage. And I would love to know who I'm praying with. But I believe there is always a spirit of love, of correction, of redemption, of forgiveness in this place. That's what happens when you lift up the name of Jesus. And I believe he's began to draw people to himself. And I believe he's created a safe place today. A place where we can step into the grace of God because we can be honest with ourselves. A place where we can say yes to God. And I feel like in this moment at all of our campuses, there's probably somebody there. And you've walked in arrogance and pride, but it's brought destruction. And today you're ready to bow a knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords spiritually and say, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord. I can't do life on my own. If I'm honest with myself, I can't do it all. I don't know it all. Jesus, I need you. And it's in that honest moment that the Bible says that humility, that Jesus comes into our life, that he died on a cross in humility for your sins, that he was put in a tomb and he rose in power. He paid the price of your sin. He rescued you from hell. And now he reserves a place for you with him in eternity, a place called heaven. And I can spend hours trying to describe it. But the Bible says there's no words to even comprehend it. And he's here right now. And I believe there's somebody in our rooms that says, you know what, I'm honest enough. I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. So here, here's what we do. I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to make you stand up. I believe everybody in this room, God's doing a work differently in them. But if you would say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with God. And I'm not worried about the person to my right or left, but I need to start one today. The Bible says that the way you do that is you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that you need Jesus. And in that moment, you would be saved. That's the first step. And then you begin to give him every part of who you are as you begin to follow him and obey him and trust him. But that, that part follows your understanding of his love for you that would stop at nothing to get to you. And I'm honest enough to realize that I need it right now. I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're here at other campuses right now and you would say, Pastor, that's me. What I want you to do is take one concrete motion, one, one step towards God. You're not going to stand, but if that's you all over our houses, I'm going to ask you in a second to raise your hand. And as you raise your hand, I'm going to pray with you as we close. And when you raise your hand, it's just a symbol between you and God that, hey, today's my day. Today's the day I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. So here you go. In Montgomeryville, in Plymouth Meeting, in Royersford, Phoenixville, Limerick, watching online. If you would say, hey, pastor, that's me. They're going to let me know all over our house. I need to get my life right with God. I need to have a moment of honesty. I don't got it all figured out. I can't do it all on my own. My life has not been the exception to the rule. And today I'm going to honestly invite Jesus into my life. I need him. If that's you all over our houses, just real quick, just shoot your hand up in the air and say, hey, pastor, that's me. If you're here in Phoenixville, hey, pastor, that's going to be me. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. If you're at other campuses, just quickly shoot your hand up in the air. In Montgomeryville, I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else? Say, hey, pastor, that's me. I see two more hands right here. I'm honest enough. I'm just honest enough. There's no shame. There's no judgment. There's no fear. There's no worry in the presence of God. There's a place of grace. 
The only thing separating me and you is that I know I need Jesus Christ. That I was honest enough with myself. I don't have it all figured out. I can't do it all on my own. And I'm not the exception to the rule. I want to step into wisdom today. I'm going to fear God. I'm going to ask God. I'm going to seek God. Is there anybody else say, hey, pastor, that's me. That's me all over our houses. Let's begin to pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you are accomplishing right now at Journey Church, at all of our campuses. Lord, thank you for those that are raising their hand uh, still. It is a sign that today is their day. Montgomeryville, right now, raise, somebody is, is accepting you as their Lord and Savior. And in Plymouth Meeting, and, and right here in Phoenixville, and Limerick, and Royersford, and maybe even online. Lord, somebody is deciding to make you the Lord of their life. They're having an honest enough moment with themselves. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. Set me free. Make me a brand new person. I can't do this on my own anymore. I know I've been created by you for a purpose. And Lord, today I'm starting a relationship with you, one that's going to change me forever. I'm going to begin to understand and comprehend the gravity of your love. And Lord, when I understand the gravity of your love, I'll begin to trust you and my life will begin to shift and change. And we are grateful, Lord, for what's began right here in this moment, Lord. Lord, would you continue to work in and through this church? Thank you for all that you've accomplished at all of our campuses. Jesus, I pray that you were honored and that you were glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, Journey Church, one more time, let's shout amen. Come on, let's clap together all over our houses.